This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Hello. Every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and then we have an incredible interview with someone from the episode. Uh, But at first we chit-chat. We have a lot to discuss. (laughs) We do. Right before the new year, right before we enter into 2022, we obviously need to discuss... Sex in the City, uh, duh, obviously. <laughs> and Kara and I and our friend Lauren did have... A wild night. A wild night. Um, that wasn't actually <laughs> that wild. I think we're just elderly at this point and <laughs> could not handle it. I think it. it was... I mean, listen, what had happened was we <laughs> went to the very talented co-host of Las Culturistas podcast and a very hilarious performer and singer, Matt Rogers, has an amazing... Christmas show that he does. At- well, tell them who are who the piano play- and composer of the songs are. Hello. And his co-composer, like the basically his right hand, the guy who puts together all the songs with him, is Henry Kapersky, who does our beautiful uh, podcast theme song. So we went to go see the two of them perform at the Hollywood Improv. We had gone two years ago, pre-pandemic, and it was like a glorious, fun original, thing. Original, yeah. funny, sincere Christmas music. He's not shitting on Christmas. It is only someone that loves Christmas like Matt does can create such incredible music. And we're just gonna... The songs are like out of of control funny. They are so fucking funny. Like one is from the point of view of Mrs. Claus. One is from the point of view of Martha May Huvier from The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Like one is just like like about Will Christmas you have up in this my club. Back this Christmas, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm tone like, deaf. I fucked that up. But at yeah. the end, um, everyone sings Mariah Carey. I was jumping on a booth, but I started with double vodka sodas. So that's where maybe the mistakes yeah. started. And then we were. I was also humiliated us because we were like running around to meet Matt, and all of his best friends were just waiting like normal people in the lobby. But we were like running up to the green room. Like, well, Rapunzel. that's because two years ago we went up to a green room to hang out. I bet. <laughs> I wonder if that's a COVID thing now or something that you can't do that. No, but I like, felt like a pushy aunt. I felt yeah, like yeah. Was- we were like, can we come up? And then he was like, well, I'll be out front in a second. We were like, okay. But then we we had such a great time. There were just so many fun people there that we knew and it was really fun. And then we were like, well, we Ubered here, so we're going out. And we went out in West Hollywood to all these fun gay bars. 
And we just did a lot of shots and drank a lot of drinks. Well, and... no, we found out our friend Lauren was throwing the shots underneath the bar. Oh, like an absolute. But to me, we're not bullies. Betraying bitch. We're not bullies. <laughs> why are you? Why am I spending money if you're not? Yeah, just say you don't <laughs> you want it. You say you don't want it. She's just very rich now, so she doesn't understand. But yeah. you don't have to be pouring the shots under the bar. <laughs> Please, I was I was buying them, and because I was trying to like pay back. Like when somebody bought a shot in a round, I'd be like, "Okay, my turn." Now we're buying shots. It was like a bad precedent to set, but alas. But we did fall in love with uh, Go Go Boy, who Kara kept turning to the group and going, "He's special. He has something special. <laughs> There's something about him. There was something about this Go Go Boy. I was like, he's gonna be famous, and he's gonna be like, I used to dance Go Go at high tops. I also like, haven't I don't touched know. someone that's smooth in such a long time. Yeah, he just had, like, baby, such smooth." Skin. He was a little seal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, a sexy seal. A sexy seal. And we did go to TomTom. We, Tom. Tom. we went to TomTom. Tom. We were we were out with another podcast host who was getting a lot of attention. But I ordered Fireball and the, the girl was livid at me, at the, the bartender. She goes, we don't have Fireball. We don't have Rumplemints. We don't have Jaeger. And I was like, okay, well, now you're going to make lemon drop shots. Are you happy now? You're going to love <laughs> putting sugar on all those rims. <laughs> You fucking dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> oh my God, what a bitch. I do want to eat there because I heard the food at Tom Tom is really I have good. eaten there twice and I have enjoyed it both times. Of it course. was funny to go there having watched Vanderpump and having them like built that place and be like, ah, yes, here are the gears. Here are the <laughs> gears in person. Like all the gears on the wannabe steampunk like Well, you wall guys were shaming me too because I thought it's a cool looking bar and you guys. Oh, uh, we were not. like, this place is not. <laughs> It looks, it just looks And I was cheesy. like, I'd have my wedding here. <laughs> <laughs> Serve those goat cheese balls, bitch. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I wish I could have eaten food there, but we had a great time. Unfortunately, two of us came home without phones, but I will report my phone has been located and I will be driving 45 minutes away from Los Angeles right after I record this to pick up my phone. Our other friend was straight up robbed, but uh, we shouldn't yeah. have gone to the third bar. We went to a third bar that I didn't realize we went to till midday. Kara, yeah. I'm going to throw you under the bus. What? She did puke out of the Uber. I did. I did. When I got home. Yes. yes as yes. I was getting out into my house, I, I, you know what? It's crazy because I did get extremely drunk. I will not be ashamed of that, but... I just think it's the car ride makes me feel sick. Like I would not, if I had been able to walk home and go to bed, I would have been fine. But I, no, because I was in a car for 30 minutes. We're getting a hotel. Next time we go out, we're <laughs> yes. going to just stay in West Hollywood. Oh, hotel tonight. Yeah. Or there's like a Radisson right there next to Eat 24, a 24 hour diner. We'll just eat, stay at a fucking Radisson and then go home to our family. That's what we need to do. And avoid all this drama. And I'll throw yeah. myself under the bus. I did wake up around 8 a.m. to violently puke and sit in the shower um, for about two hours, I would say. Yeah. And I have to say, um, I barely have gotten super, super drunk since I've been a parent, like the way that I was this evening. And no, this happens to me when I get too excited. Yeah. Because remember a few months ago, I opened for Sam J at the Troubadour and I was so overwhelmed with excitement, double tequila sodas in bed by midnight puking. So it's like, yeah. It's like I'm 19 and drove to Canada. Yeah, we have to chill. I just, yeah. Like, I don't, I do like to go out, but I don't go out that often in that way. Like, usually I do shows. I have a few drinks. I go home. Yeah. I go out and have a few drinks. I'm home by 12. Like, you know. We were just like, ah, Christmas. Yeah. Like, we were getting home at 3 a.m. Shots, crazy. And I, But I will say, and I know people feel me that listen to this podcast because a lot of you are parents. 
Parenting hungover is some seventh circle of hell shit. It is the worst fucking thing because they do not get what being hungover is. You can say mom doesn't feel well. They do not give a shit. Rosie still kept going, mom, 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 mom. It was a nightmare. Like I just, it made me like, I will think of that the next time I'm out trying to like do shots. Yeah. I don't think our friend left the bed till the evening um, and neither did I. I think we both. Unfortunately, I did not have the option. I did have to get up and parent, but it was a nightmare and it'll, it serves me right. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) You're allowed to go out. Um, But yeah, it was, um, it was pretty wild. And then to tame ourselves the next day, we went to like a Hallmark looking festival, like a Hallmark Christmas movie festival. I took, um, I took Lisa with Rosie to this Christmas tree lighting festival in Los Angeles in a neighborhood that's like adjacent to ours. And Lisa goes, what are we in a Hallmark movie? I go, maybe you're going to meet your husband tonight or your wife. Like maybe we're going to, this is like a perfect meet cute place. Like this is like, we were drinking hot chocolate, making ornaments, waiting for Santa to arrive on a fire truck. It was very like. It was, but I thought we were just going to Target. So I did wear a Daria sweatshirt and gray sweatpants. (laughs) So it wasn't um, the Christmas like stroll picking up guys that I was outfit that I was hoping for. <laughs> and we do have to be upfront that the hot chocolate was from a church, but it was Oh good. yeah. They gave us a note from Jesus with the hot chocolate, but But then it they was kept good. stretching the lighting and so we didn't get to actually see the tree. Yeah, they didn't do the, I think they didn't do the lighting until like the end because my friend sent me a video of her daughter watching it. But Rosie got to see Santa in the fire truck and it was worth it. She had a blast. I have a video of her dancing like a psycho. Not a psycho. Um, like a she girl was dancing who... pretty crazy. She was just running back and forth like crazy. But wait, okay, so that was fun. And then last night, I finally, I know I'm late, and a lot of you guys messaged us. And I want to say a lot of you guys messaged us with a fucking spoiler from the Sex in the City show. And so I knew what was going to happen before I watched because some of you guys slid into our DMs with that. So just be careful next time. But Twitter and the articles, I mean, yeah, you it's so fun. But, I, you know, I lost my phone. So I didn't, I wasn't actually, I was able to make it till Sunday. But it's okay. I watched it last night, both of the first two episodes. Uh, so, okay. I saw someone yesterday and I was talking about how much I loved it. And she goes, that is so sweet. I haven't heard anyone say a nice word about it. So I was like the first person that she talked to. Yeah, the reviews are really bad. Well, I wonder if they're the same people that would have given the original show bad reviews. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. It's just like, okay, the first 10 minutes, I was nervous. I was like, oh, I don't know. Is this going to be bad? Is my favorite show going to be bad? And then I was in. I was in. I really loved that they went there and made the characters fucking flawed. They're elderly, old, white, rich people in New York, and they're going to have problems. And I am, like, impressed with how annoying they made Charlotte. Um, Listen, I am going to keep watching it. It's it's fun. It made me deeply, deeply sad. I mean, spo- don't listen to this part if you haven't watched it yet. Like, it really, really made me sad. Like, that affected me. But... Also, they're leaning too hard into the elderly stuff. Like, the fact that you're calling them elderly, they're in their mid-50s. Like, that's not elderly. Why is Steve wearing hearing aids? Like People can lose their hearing. Sure, they can. But they're, like, they're leaning too far into it, in my opinion. Like, just be in your 50s killing it. And many women are. Like, we don't have to be this, like, what's TikTok? Like, I don't know. It's a little cringy, a lot of it, to me. But I'm enjoying it. The fashion, the New York... The people, I'm going to keep watching it, you know? And I like some of these new edition characters. I think Sarah Ramirez killed it. 
because they're playing a stand-up comic, so it's like yeah. we're going to be more critical. And I wasn't annoyed. I was into it. I was like, I can see this being a comic that I would run into out and about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I loved the weed. So wait, is the... Is the premise that they are going to be a love interest for Miranda? I mean, that's what we're hoping for. Miranda's okay, okay, going to clearly... Okay. I did, I'm about to say clearly. I did not catch this. This went over my head. My friend Julia did tell me, but uh, Miranda's going to have a drinking problem, obviously. There was a few... Oh, she had okay. to drink there, there before class. There were a couple Chablis moments, but I thought that was like nerves. Yeah, but before class, uh, before the funeral speech, obviously, but like yeah. before class and then um, I think there was one more, but uh, people caught on to that. But I thought her being a dumb bitch in class was so cringy and uncomfortable in the best oh, way. But in the best way. And at the train when she's like, and I knew I had to go to, like, I feel like I might have been this person uh, during the <laughs> pandemic. I think most uh, whites that are trying to do good have these moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I liked that they showed it. And no, no, I did, I have worked with Karen Pittman. So that was exciting to see. Wait, who, who is that? The professor. Oh, wow. Excuse me. She's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, She was in Horace and Pete. So I. She's cool. And she was in a really cool, I enjoyed her in Horace and Pete a lot. So I was excited. Oh, and the woman that plays Charlotte's friend is so beautiful. Nicole yes. Ari Parker. Yeah, Great gorgeous. fashion. I just like that yeah. Charlotte's a dumb bitch. I feel like I've had a friend like this where it's like, um, Carrie's husband just died. Why are you crying and oh, making it about absolutely. you? Absolutely. We've had family tragedies where there's always one. I remember a friend of my mom's just fully like sobbing on the couch and asking me to bring her Tylenol when we had a death in our family. And I was like, bitch, get out of here. Like, it's just like crazy when people make it so about them. And kept doing it. And Susan Sharon. Susan Sharon, though, killed me. Like, that was so funny. She when looks they go incredible. To her and she, she looked incredible. incredible. And when they cut to her and she goes, does anyone not remember him being a total dick to her? Like, <laughs> I was like, that broke up the sadness of that scene for me. Like, because that was so... When he died, I cried when Samantha sent the flowers. I cried during the speech. I mean, I was crying a lot. And I like what they're doing with Samantha. I guess that they're talking about her so respectfully and not being shitty or, like, killing her. But I'm also, like, she would be there. Like, she would absolutely be there yes, if they Yes, but we... I know, oh, I saw that on Twitter and people bitching about that. It's like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What are you talking about? In the words of Samantha, I hope you got that. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> She doesn't want to do it. They did the best that they could. They're not going to fucking kill Samantha, okay? Go fuck yourselves. And she maybe wouldn't have been on a plane. COVID was just over. There could have been travel restrictions. Like, you don't know everything. And same with the big, where it's like, how did they do this? He might have said, I'm only doing one. You know, with Maloney, people are like, oh, what happened? It was a contract issue. That's why he left, okay? Like, there's more to stuff than creative things. Yeah. I was just hating people bitching about stuff that they have no control over. No, I know. I just, for some reason, I, like, I well, I was reading a lot of stuff that was like, maybe they should have killed Samantha. No. What would you have thought if they did that? No, because we're still hopeful she might come back in season two. Honey, this is like the oh, Dexter yeah. situation. Let's be hopeful, let's be open, and let's work with what we got. And they don't want to... They could not kill. I don't think it was right to kill Samantha because that would have been a fuck you. And I think they're trying to be chill. No, I was happy they didn't. I was happy they didn't. But I mean, also like, I don't know. The the reason for the breakup didn't seem enough. Like, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's one thing on Twitter where I saw like, they're like, Samantha in the second movie had a giant P 
PR agency in Times Square. What do you mean she couldn't handle your book? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they did what they could. I'm, I love what, well, I also saw a really funny meme of uh, Lily and it's like, wow, Lily really is ruining Carrie's life because the reason yeah. the wedding didn't happen. Yeah, I know. And she had to go to that recital. And it's like, it is your fault, Charlotte. It is your fault. And I would blame her. And I would not want to be her friend. Yes, but don't you think, you, Lisa, you cannot blame someone like that. If he had a heart attack ready to happen, it was going to happen at some if point. that's how I felt about her, and then she was acting the way she was acting. Yes. The way she was acting was She would up, be but... cut out of my life. <laughs> I would blame her, and if she kept crying and making it about her, ow, I lo- they're just such good actresses, and anyone that hates the show, I think, just doesn't understand. Like, the moment when Carrie goes, I'd prefer that. When Charlotte's like, yeah, can yeah, you be yeah. alone? I'm like, you guys are just so talented. And it's like, it's our old girls. I feel it's their old person. It's like who they are. Yeah. And Sarah Jessica Parker looks great. And I do like that they're forcing her to be a little bit more uh, open on this podcast situation that yeah. she's doing. I think it's, there's a lot of good about it, but there was just parts of it that I was like, like that were cringy for me. But I think they were purposely cringy. I think we were supposed to feel uncomfortable with Miranda in that classroom and on the train platform. Yeah. Also, did Steve's accent, and I don't want to badmouth him at all because Lord knows we want him on this podcast, but <laughs> Steve's accent was like on quadruple drive. Like he was like, hey, you guys, what's with the bike? Like I just thought he turned it up like high. It was like he had it, maybe he hadn't like talked like Steve in 20 years and was like, is this what he sounded like? Hey, like it was just so like. Well, that reminds me. Nobody wanted to, like everyone's like no one wants to see Brady be fucking like leave. Oh God, it was like too much. But it's real, you know. Thinking about like, I just love how real it is. And ter- I don't. I mean, I. But that happens. Are you gonna let your kid I fuck guess. or not? Like it's kind of cool. I don't know. In the house. Yeah, I mean, oh, God, I just I can't think about that right now. I have a six month old. <laughs> I can't think about it. Um, You also have another child. Uh, No, I know, but (laughs) I feel like it's more of a guy would ask to do that, maybe. I don't know why. Like, I I don't know. But maybe I'm being wrong. Rosie could fuck, too. (laughs) Yeah, she's going to be fucking. Um... (laughs) I also love that they used uh, the apartment, like Stanford and Mario had a, having an issue, or Anthony, sorry. So, like, um, Stanford and Anthony having an issue and, like, the apartment being used all the time was nice. Like, that he's like, oh, I already have a key. And I like that they made Stanford annoying. Stanford yeah, was wait, cringy. can I ask... I, I mean, we have to stop. We really have to get into yeah. our episode today because this is not a Sex in the City podcast, though maybe we will start one. Listen, why was there that weird scene with him telling Gloria to get out of his seat? It just felt like it lasted too long. Well, because I think they needed to show that Anthony was, like, disgusted by his behavior. Okay. And maybe they love each other, but it's like, when you don't grow, evolve, change, like... And he was rude to her. I mean, clearly this woman knows big. So, like, what do you want? But where Stanford was coming from was, I get that. When he's like, yeah. that's my best friend. And I'm going to sit next to her. Yeah, I understood that, too. So it just seemed like a weird scene that went on too long. But it wasn't to support her. It didn't seem like it was to support her. It was, oh, I get to be close. And that was solidified with his comment about, like, I would have liked to speak. And I just think, because something's going to obviously happen with Stanford. Well, right. I think what I read in a review is that he's getting pretty much abruptly written out after season four, episode four. 
Sure, but it needs to be a death because even if him and Anthony get divorced or that's what they're leaning towards or that's what was on par, right? like, he would still be Charlotte's friend. And I loved that, I mean, Carrie's friend, but I also loved that Charlotte was like, you didn't call me. And it's like, no, I want Stanford right now. It's not fucking about, I mean, Charlotte to me was triggering for sure. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, more Um, annoying than ever. But um, I'm impressed I love Sarah Ramirez and Miranda, hopeful. What's going to happen? I uh... You're a diehard, and I think there's very little they could do to turn you off. And I am excited to keep watching it. I liked it. I had a good time. It felt like being back with old friends. Yeah. Sure. No, up top, I was cr- it was like too caricature but I thought they've gotten to a rhythm. And then the trailer for what's coming on this season looks awesome. Yeah. Because we love that actress, too, who was in the COVID episode that made you cry of SVU. Yeah, Sarita Chowdhury is her name, yeah. Yeah, from Homeland. So that's going to be fucking exciting. Yeah, yeah. She'll be a cool character, too. She's Carrie's real estate agent, I think. I'm just happy to have him back and stop trying to make it what it was. And I just hate everyone shitting on it. Like, go fuck yourself. I don't know. If you want to engage with Lisa about this more, antagonize her on Twitter, please. (laughs) Um, okay, let's start today's episode because we got a good one for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is Hell's Kitchen. I have lived in this neighborhood, so that's exciting. I worked for many years in this neighborhood and love, love, love Hell's Kitchen. What did you do in Hell's Kitchen? I worked for um, a producer at a, oh, a little one. production. You know, my my Devil Wears Banana Republic job, I would say. Um it's interesting because a lot of these restaurants that we're ta- we're going to talk about in this episode were restaurants I like had to make reservations for that boss at. So it's like bringing me back. Oh, amazing. I've also been a server. I think you have too. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of personal. Yeah, but not in New York. I didn't serve no, in New York. No, not in New York. But I had a great, it was the first neighborhood I lived in in New York. I did live in a one bedroom railroad with one other person. We did share a bed and we only had one sink. Um, in the kitchen, not in the bathroom. And you had to climb over the toilet to get into the tub. And we each paid nine fifty. Oh my God. <laughs> Which <laughs> is like a steal. I'm like nine fifty in Manhattan. But and yeah. this is where the guy came up the ladder too, right? Yeah. 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 It was between 10th and 11th. Um, but we just were so desperate to live our sex in the city fantasy and live in Manhattan. Like the moment Manhattan was brought up, we were like, oh yeah, we'll share a bed. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll live in Manhattan. Uh, we only lasted like seven months, eight months in there. But um, so happy to see Hell's Kitchen getting some love. Yeah. Not love. I don't know. Attacks. Okay. Season 20, episode eight. <laughs> it starts with classical music playing. So obviously something fancy is happening. And then we see like a, sl- a thin slice of a radish looking thing. Delicate food. So we're at a restaurant. And then we see like a tattooed sleeve of a man. So we know that's the chef. Okay. Chefs love tattoos. Um, and these looks cool. It wasn't like uh, the anatomy of a pig or a that piece of bacon. I was just going to say, you <laughs> know, know what you always see is that fucking like all like the haunches, like all the different labels of the pig cuts. And I'm like, you guys need, that's to me like the tramp stamp of the culinary world. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> chefs, I mean, I have a lot of bad tattoos, I guess, but chefs are notorious for pretty <laughs> terrible tattoos. But it is a job you get to be like fully tatted for. Um, and so, yeah, this chef man, he's picking up tiny flowers with tweezers, placing it on a salad. I don't really like this kind of bullshit. I do it. 
is someone else is paying, and right. I don't love it. <laughs> um, I want real food. I want real food. I don't want a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. flower petal. Um, <laughs> he has an earring, and he's yelling loud. You know, he's one of those uh, Hell's Kitchen. What is it? Master Kitchen? What's the one where no, he No, no, you're right. Hell's Kitchen is Gordon Ramsay. Oh, wow. This yeah. is really connected. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. And he's the one that's always screaming at people. Yeah, but you know what I love is, I don't know if you ever watch him host the kids' show, but he's completely different. And there's Oh, yeah, with the, with the little junior. Yeah. Yeah, there's montages of going back and forth, like how he speaks to adults and then children. Um, <laughs> but it's because he's passionate, and you do get to, yeah, I mean, it is an abusive, toxic um, environment. Usually, if you're at a job where it's people's passions— um, you can exploit them. Um, yeah. We've we've lived it. So yeah, if like you know that everyone is desperate to live their dreams, you can you can ruin our lives. Uh, that's <laughs> that's basically it. We'll sign anything. Um, we'll work for free. We'll take an internship. We'll drive eight hours. Um, so anyways, to- toxic chef vibes. Um, but then he starts talking about lobster and squid ink pasta, and I'm back on board in this restaurant. I was like, okay, I would I would definitely order that. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> And there are some VIP customers and they produce a kid's food show and um, among other things. So it's like the front of house manager and the chef are walking um, to this like table of fancy food show producers. Um, The chef is Andrew Leibowitz. He is a Jew, obviously. Um, And the restaurant is called Far Rockaway, even though it's in Manhattan. And I hate when people do this. Do you, this doesn't bother you. No, there's just like a bar that used to have a comedy show called like Coney Island Baby, but it's in Manhattan. It makes no sense yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Why is this Coney called Island Far Rockaway? Baby. You're trying to confuse people? I think that they're like, we're bringing a little bit of our hometown to Manhattan. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like I grew up on the beaches of Far Rockaway, but now I made it my dreams to the big city. Like, I don't know. I think that's like what the goal is, but I don't know. <laughs> um, And then he drops one of the plates off though, and it's, Octopus with deconstructed coleslaw? What? (laughs) (laughs) Does that just mean like shreds of cabbage separate from shreds of carrot and then a pile of mayonnaise? How does that, how is that? Exactly. (laughs) And how is that fancy or delicious? Like that just sounds disgusting. Um, And then the other guy got like some polenta, which I do like. I like polenta. Mm -hmm. Um, He makes a joke about um, like dessert giving them wood. Yeah. I don't know. So they get hard for desserts. Um, And so they're having a moment. So um, the chef is like to the producers, why don't you stay after dinner? We have a private room after powers, you know. So we get the vibe that some scummy stuff might happen. They're getting hard on desserts and there's a private room. And then he starts massaging the shoulders of this waitress named Kayla. She has beautiful red hair and a bold red lip. And then we cut to a salad that looks like shit. And you're like, and then you realize we're at Benson's house. So it makes a little more sense. Noah is mad about the salad. He hates olives. There's olives, and I'm on Noah's side. You don't like olives either. I hate olives too, but you know I'm never on Noah's side. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he's just sitting there being like, I want pizza. It's like, yeah, we all want fucking pizza, kid. You don't get that all the time. Benson's CPS workers on her ass all the time. She he, she finds out you're feeding her p- him pizza every day, she's going to lose you. So... Do you want to go back into the system? Eat your salad. Yeah, but this is Rosie. Rosie only eats a quesadilla and a pesto pasta. But I sneak veggies in. She eats a tortellini that has spinach in it. She eats a smoothie that has avocado and spinach. I sneak it. She's she's two. My friends have assured me that by the time she's Noah's age, which is like seven in this episode or eight, that she'll be eating more different things. I talk about this all the time. When I waitressed now over a decade ago, I will never remember. I will never forget. I'll never remember. I will never forget. <laughs> 
this young girl ordered the garlic shrimp and I was like, I like you. Like I just- Oh, like I, a little kid. I love when a kid is, um, like our friend posted a photo of her son uh, squeezing lemon on an oyster and sucking it down. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Oh yeah. My friend Alice came to LA with like her eight-year-old and we went out to dinner to like a nice place in Echo Park. And she was like, do you want the Cornish hen, <laughs> Eloise? And Eloise was like, sure. Like she was so, ad. like, she goes, she has a pretty good palate. And I was like, Okay, like my fingers are fucking crossed. Rosie wouldn't even eat pizza the other day. I was begging her to finish her pizza and she was like, no. What did she want? Animal crackers? Well, she wanted dessert. She wanted a popsicle or ice cream. She's a sugar hound. (laughs) And you can have taste bud changes too. Like I remember I used to never eat anything spicy and now I'll eat a jalapeno like in something, you know? I really love jalapeno poppers. It's like a new moment. Maybe we should eat that tonight. Don't eat dinner. Let's get jalapeno poppers. (laughs) Or not. Okay. Sorry. You know what? Sold. <laughs> okay. You said nothing. I go, never mind. Never mind. No, I, got I was so like, embarrassed. I was literally scanning my brain for where can we get them around here? I'll absolutely do jalapeno poppers. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, anyways, now off from the food, uh, we'll go to my favorite topic fashion, Benson's sweater. I want it. I want it. It was oversized, <laughs> cozy, white, gray, black. Like, oh, what a great fucking at-home sweater. Um, He spits out the olives. Benson doesn't know what to do. They're having a moment. So they cut back to the restaurant. And Kayla and the bartender at this VIP room, they're taking shots. Um, And then the producer, one of the producers asks Kayla to sit on his face. So that's pretty fun. And then he, like, does a little dance <laughs> thing, tricks her to sit on his lap. Like, it's just a mess. So the front of house woman is like, you okay? And Kayla goes, ugh, half the gig, right? I had to put subtitles on. I listened to this eight times. I could not understand what she was saying. You need diction help to whatever actress this is. (laughs) She's clearly not the guest. I'm talking shit about her. Um, But (laughs) so um, that's half the gig. And the bar manager woman goes, yeah, story of my life. So um, we get a thing that this is just like how it is. You know, you have to put up with it. And my friend um, Alex was like... um, a uh, waitress at a, like a hip, hip packed sports bar in Chicago. She said she had to leave because people would just touch her so much. Like you get fully just harassed and grabbed and touched. You know, it's constantly. funny because like I worked at a restaurant in Boston. That's my only waitress experience is I worked at this like je- when like jazz kind of came back in like the early 2000s. Remember when it was like cherry pop and daddies and all that shit? I worked at a martini bar, like massive martinis the size of like a cereal bowl. And then like... um jazz, live jazz music. And the food was like, whatever, but people did eat there. And so, and I wore like a button up white shirt with a black clip on tie and like black pants. And I remember being like, oh, so gross, this outfit. And now I'm like, I'm pretty happy actually that they made me dress like a penguin because then I like didn't get my ass grabbed a lot, you know? Yeah, no, the sports bar was not penguin outfits. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so now we cut to two cops in a different uh, culinary vibe. They have bags of fast food, and they're really excited to eat in their car. Um, and then while they're walking with the fast food, they happen upon a woman that's fighting out of a car, kicking what we can assume is an Uber driver. So she's, like, kicking and fighting, so they run, and it's Kayla Morgan. So it is the waitress from earlier, and two uniform cops are now explaining to Carisi and Finn, like, what happened on the scene. Um, they found the Uber driver was climbing on top of her. He says that that she was wasted and wouldn't get out of his car and he was just trying to get her out of the car and he's actually the victim and that she's like, you know, that she was hitting him. And Kayla is also not claiming rape, but her shirt was fully ripped open. So we don't know what's going on, um, but she put up a fight and he wants to press charges for assault. 
credits. So that's a lot. Okay. So now we're back from the credits. Um, and Kayla is with Benson and Rollins at the precinct. And she's like, listen, I don't remember anything. I've told everybody what happened. And she says she doesn't think the Uber driver did anything. She's like, I passed out and he startled me. So I flipped out a little bit. Like, do I need a lawyer? What is happening? And Rollins is like, don't worry about that. And Benson's like, we're just worried about you. Like, we don't care about anything else. And they're just very caring. And I love them so much. Um, so they're just trying to figure out what happened before the Uber ride. But she doesn't really remember any of that. And then they cut to the boys in the interrogation room with the Uber driver. And he's like, I am the victim. He keeps uh, saying that. And he is such a fun actor. Um, I like all the faces he made so much, but he's horrified at the allegations against him. It is not him. And uh, he goes, take DNA, take lie detector, anything you want. And that's always, that could go either way. It's like, you're obviously clearly innocent or you're playing a game. So it's like, what's happening? Finn can't believe it, which I love. This is the best moment of this episode. He goes, I mean, there's a passed out girl in your car. You want to, you want us to believe you kept driving. And like, I love that that's the standard. It's like, but that's how I felt. I've talked about this, how like I was recently, like a few months ago, blacked out with an Uber driver and he had to get, and I, I tipped him a hundred percent because I was like, you could have raped and kidnapped me. So here's a present. It's like the baseline yeah. is you will get attacked. And even Finn's like, oh, you had a passed out girl and you didn't rape her. I don't buy it. Like, it is fucked that that is the standard. I'm, like, having a hard time with the word. Yeah. But. Well, I also, like, I'm a huge... If I've been drinking even a little bit, I pass out in transit. Like, if I'm in the car... Like, if I'm in the... Obviously, not if I'm the one driving. But, like, <laughs> if I, I... like, But, like, if I'm in the back of a car and it's late at night, good night. I'm out. You know? Like, so, I don't know. I, it's probably bad. I probably shouldn't take Ubers. But, yeah, you're right. It's a sad standard. You're not really often drinking alone wildly, I would say. True. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I was just thinking of the time, the last time I drank and got really bombed in West Hollywood for Drag Race, I took an Uber home and the man definitely had to wake me up when I got home. Yeah, it's like wild. <laughs> it's really wild. And I just loved Finn's like, yeah, right. I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's very telling. And then he goes, um, we know he's not lying. Because uh, he goes, no, I was talking to my wife on the phone the whole time. And I go, he's telling the truth. Um, if you've ever... <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever been in a New York City transportation, they are talking to their wives. Yeah, the wives are in a different time zone and they are chatting. Um <laughs> And so Carisi is sassy, goes, you know, we hate that. And I actually like it. I like when they talk to their wives. It reminds me of Sex in the City, too. When like, And then it just, butler... it also means they're not talking to me. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Usually. Sometimes I've had nice convos with cab drivers, truly. But not most anymore. Of the time, I'm done. Yeah. But for many years, yeah, I would wear your children always, all the problems, <laughs> everything. But I do get mad when they go, oh, are you going home? I go, you shouldn't really ask women where they're going. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> and if they go, are you, do you have a boyfriend? I always say yes, no matter what. Yeah. Always. He's huge. <laughs> he's and he's huge. waiting for me on the curb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but the driver seems like a good guy. He goes, I realized something was wrong. She had weird zombie vibes. And um, I tried to help her out and she flipped out. Um, they cut back to her and she wants to leave. She's really mad. And she goes, listen, I had a lot to drink. I don't know what's up. I, everything was fuzzy. And she's yelling, I am not a victim. And Rollins and Benson are trying to convince her to speak up and figure out what happened, even if it's not the Uber guy. And Kayla leaves since the Uber guy is not pressing charges. And then the amazing hair detectives just watch her walk away. And then we cut to Carisi. 
And he is filling in the squad that the cell phone records prove that the driver was talking to his wife the whole time. She got picked up at 3.39 a.m. outside of a restaurant on the Lower East Side called Far Rockaway by Andrew. So I love that. That reminds me of Kyle Richards' businesses. Aileen 2. Kyle by Aileen 2. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it so much. So Carisi knows about this restaurant. It's a high-priced seafood joint. And he took a date there once. And then someone's like, was it worth it? Oh, he spent like a few hundred bucks. So someone, I forgot who was like, is it worth it? He goes, worth every cent. So I guess he had great sex after this date, which (laughs) is exciting. Um... So Carisi and Finn start asking the front of house woman for some scoop. And she says, kitchen closes at one and I leave. So leave me alone. Um, She says that Marco is a server and he's obsessed with Kayla. So go talk to him. And they talk to this like doughy sweet man. I kind of have a crush on him and he's really innocent and I love him. And he was like, whoa, rape? And they go, we didn't say rape. Why'd you say rape? And he goes, I know what SVU means. So (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I love him. I'm like truly into this server. So I loved the interaction. And now um, he also says, he goes, I went home and um, my building has cameras so you can check all my shit. So um, they can prove that he's innocent. So that's great. Uh, Kayla did work the after party, he tells them. So they go down to the private room to get more scoop. They talk to the sexy bartender and he gives us all of our SVU bartending fantasy needs. He is wiping bottles. He is arranging bottles. He's carrying a box. He is doing the work. (laughs) And he mentions like the producing execs and they left around 2.30, And he last saw Kayla at three. So clearly, you know, there is some time that is unaccounted for what's going on. He said that she went down to the wine cellar to meet Andrew, the chef slash owner. And Carisi is, of course, like, like, suspicious. So they head down there, and he's babbling about wines and shipments. He has cocaine energy, if I've ever seen it. This man is yeah. on cocaine. <laughs> uh, this is coke at its finest, and he offers them a sip of wine, and they, when they reject it, he says, this is $800 a bottle, and Finn goes, okay, I'll hit that. So... <laughs> So Finn's trying this $800 bottle of wine and he says it tastes like warm apple juice. And the chef's like, ooh, apple notes. I'll put that in the description. Um, But anyways, they're like, shut up. We don't care about these wines. Stop babbling about. We need you to focus. So he starts babbling again about how he loves cops and hates finance bros. And it's like, you need to stop talking. <laughs> and then he starts talking about Manischewitz and Gefilte fish. And it's like, go home, take a nap. This is, you need a break. This is like fully giving me flashbacks to like every night talking to somebody that was too coked up. And you're like, okay, Anna, all right, I gotta go. <laughs> well, at least now I can kind of tell when someone's on coke. Back in the day, I would just be like, wow, this person has great ideas and a lot of passion. You know, like I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't be able to figure it out. So the detectives fill the Andrew in and they're like, okay, well, we believe that she was sexually assaulted here last night and you're the last person to see her. And he goes, excuse me, she's saying that I what? And he's shocked by the news. Um, he goes, yeah, we popped a bottle. And I said, her, you know, I liked her ass and we had consensual sex. It's not even the first time we quote unquote screwed. And if she said anything, she's fucking lying. She, you know, it was hot and she wanted it. And it's like, we've heard all this before, okay? Um, and then this scene ends, which with what I feel is a commercial. 
special. Um, and I think the high pressure moment is that they have fucked before. And then Kayla marches into the precinct mad. She is pissed in a perfect fall outfit, turtleneck, okay? And she's like, you talk to Andrew, what the fuck? I can lose my job. And, you know, they did do some Maloney action here, you know, back to Well, Stabler. it's also just like, it's 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 more like cop fantasy. Like, there's no complaining, with, like, there's no complainant at all. And they're yeah. like, we're still going to investigate this. Like, there's absolutely no way in the real world cops go after alleged rapes that happened where there's no victim is not saying that anything happened. Like, no. And the thing is, I don't, I mean, I'm sure it's in all towns. I've just like seen it mostly in New York, but like businesses want to befriend police officers. Right. Cause I've performed at some places where like the cops know that they can come pee there, you know, and they're call, yeah. And then like, if you're nicer to them, if there's an altercation at the club, like they come quicker, like, or if you have people in there later than you're supposed to have people in there. Or if you're not, you know, you're breaking some awning rule. Like, whatever. Oh, yeah. And I remember back when, like, smoking was illegal and some places still wanted to offer it. You could tell places that were in with the cops that yeah. would just be like, yeah, you can smoke, you know? Yeah, so it's like such cap vibes, but I know businesses, they want to be in with the cops. Right. Um. So it is weird. So to me... Uh, that adds on to your point of, like, these cops probably, like, go in there, too. You know, like, they get special treatment at this place. But this yeah. place seems pretty fancy. Um, and then she says she makes six figures there. That's nice. Fine dining. I think if you're full-time working fine dining, yeah, you can do, like, extremely well, I guess. I know, but do you get time off? It just seems uh, you get, like, what, Sundays and Mondays off or not really? Like, Yeah, probably. I don't know. It seems I've worked in fine dining for two days, and I went, this isn't for me. <laughs> so whatever. She goes, I didn't say anything. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, don't you think he did it? And she goes, no, it's not like that. And she says, yeah, we fucked at a Christmas party once. It was a mistake. But things aren't black and white, okay? You know, last night or whatever. She goes, yeah, I said stop, but he didn't want to. So it's whatever. It's a restaurant. And they're like, it sounds like your boss raped you. And she's like, it's not rape unless I say it's rape. And do we agree or not with that statement? I don't know. We'll we'll do a poll. I don't know. I mean, this is a tough one because she really is acting like, I mean, I didn't, you know, she's acting like it wasn't a big, I, I've done it before. I don't know. Well, yeah, because it's the, um, it's like, what is it worth it? Because you're, once she, once she says the six figure thing, it's like, okay, yeah. Because I got into an argument with someone about this where it's like, you know, guys are people that don't understand sexual assault or, like, abuse in any way. It's just like, yeah, just go to the car, tell someone. And it's like, but you don't know what someone's going to lose. And sometimes it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth being shunned out of your job, you know, unfortunately. Right. It would be cool if people weren't shunned out of their jobs and fired. And, like... Yeah, there's so many reasons why women don't report. And, you know, they're valid. And this episode, I think, really shows it great. Yeah. Like, um, of all the reasons. And we'll get more examples of, like, just different layers of what happens. Um, But whatever. She's, like, a t an angry teen. And she's like, stay out of my life uh, before you ruin it. And she runs away. So then uh, Stone comes in. I don't even know his first name. I don't really care about him. I know our listeners think he's hot. I think he's, like, a fucking boring idiot. <laughs> Do you like him? What's his name? Peter? I I think he's, like, classically Kendall hot, I guess. But I'm not my type in any way. I just don't care. If he, like, I wish he went down on Marishka one episode, then I would have liked him more. Because <laughs> they do have a vibe. Yeah. 
Every hot guy of a certain age that gets on the show, you think, oh, is this going to be the guy? Is this <laughs> yeah. going to be the, the one for Marishka? Like, I mean, you just think that. Um, so Carisi says, listen, um, this guy has no priors, but he shows up in 361s, which is like probably the name of some paperwork. So there's been three separate women that have had complaints about him that work in his Brooklyn location at the restaurant. So they go talk to the other three women and they do the thing where they like splice all three women together in one long mm. confession. So mm-hmm. um, there's a bartender. She goes, yeah, after hours, I served him and his buddy. And then it's like a brunette Bob smoking cigarette outside girl. And she's like, yeah, one night he just plants one on me and I was blacked out. So I just kind of let it happen. Um, They turned him down, but that's the boss. What do you do? He said, don't you want that promotion? So they got, they walked over. He tossed her around like a rag doll. He pulled up the skirt of another girl. She tried to fight him. Um, And then yada, yada, yada. They're connect, And then they finally find the, the connection. And the connection is he kept all of their underwear. So he took all of their panties. So one girl gets mad um, and she's like, what the fuck? Like, I've been banned from all, like he blacklisted me from everything. I'm working at this dive bar and he's out there and he continues to do whatever he wants and assaulting women, like no bueno. So then Carisi and Finn um, and Stone are discussing the case and how it's Brooklyn. So like, what's going on? And if it was Manhattan, they would have gotten the guy. And all three cases have one DA in common, Chris Hodgkins. So it's like, okay, what's going on? on like okay clue um but this is a wonder kid and he's giant in the me too movement he runs a victim advocacy group and he wants to climb up the political ladder and is like really on victim's side so they have to go find chris and they walk in on him as he's in court putting away a pedophile no mercy so we love this guy so like why did he not prosecute these three cases so stone talks to him and this guy chris knows peter's father whatever yada yada man chats. So he brings up Andrew and why he didn't prosecute. And basically Chris says that like all the issues, they weren't perfect victims, but they never are. But he was just like, he found holes in all of them and didn't really think they would be good on the stand. And he's not going to prosecute a case he can't win. But he says, I will help in any way possible if you need any help on this case. Stone is suspicious. Benson and him are working late. And Benson is like, it's just shocking he wouldn't do this. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, he... He does everything. Like, there's got to be more to it. And then they go, we got to get Kayla. Like, if we get Kayla, we can get this job. So they go find Kayla. Um, They're like, there's more victims. She doesn't want to. They're having a back and forth. And then we know, we knew what was going to happen before it happened. They bring up the panties. They go, well, don't you want your panties back? Or some stupid line. And she goes, how'd you know about that? So now, like, she gets it. She gets the power. And she is just like, oh, fuck. He's going to keep raping women. And um, so then, you know, they keep doing this. And he doesn't really want to. and And he's like, take your power. She goes, I don't know. And then, so now he brings in the real big guns because he wants her to take the stand so bad. So he brings up his murdered sister. Um, so now Kayla's like, oh, great. You're bringing up your dead sister. <laughs> it really kind of has like nothing to do with anything, but okay, it's a stretch. Yeah, and then this is more examples of things we don't think about of what victims lose. She's like, all my friends work at that restaurant. It is my full social life. Like, what am I going to do? It's blowing up my whole life. And we don't think about that either. Like, oh, yeah. fuck. Suddenly at the office, everyone could turn against you or you get... or. Or you, yeah, your social life can also get fucked up outside of money. So is it worth it? But then she finally is like, okay, okay, I'll do it. But do me a favor, 
send the cops in tomorrow during my shift. I want to see him go down. So that was a quick 180. Things escalated yeah. quickly from like, no, yeah, no, no. Kayla do it very in front suddenly of me. is like, okay, yeah, he took my underwear. He's a creep. Yeah. So they run in to arrest him. Um, Carisi has a really sweet smirk on his face. Um, the front of house manager like whips her head and stares down Kayla. Carisi arrests the Jewish chef in front of everybody. Um, and he says, ungrateful bitch, you're fired as he's out of there. He pleads not guilty, obviously. Bail is one million. Um, so this judge is Edward Koufax. He's been in five episodes. You might remember him from being the leader of a sex trafficking ring and murdering a sex worker. You remember that? Oh, in Remember another episode? Yeah, no. he's like the sex ring guy. You know him. So anyway, he has 135 credits. He's a real working man. Um, he's been in Prime, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's yeah. been in Original Recipe, Criminal Intent, The Devil Wears Prada. He's like an editor. And he's in I Heart Huckabees. So yeah, he's been working. He was in Big, Ghostbusters. I don't care about those movies. Maybe you do. Okay. <laughs> those, those seem like big ones. But yeah, he's just recognizable. And I thought I would give him a little shout out because our episode are not long enough. Okay, so they go... They go into chambers to talk about um, whether the other three victims can take the stand. And of course, the guy that's like in charge of sex trafficking rings is not going to allow this. And the defense attorney here is Regina Carter. And she's been in two episodes um, as her and then as a different character in another episode called Undercover Mother. And her real name is Amanda Warner. And she is working busy, blessed. Like she is, (laughs) um, I think she's about to really hugely blow up. She's in the new show Dickinson. That's like her current, Ah. her current big um, show. So they're arguing and um, the judge says, no, you can't. You can't use them. So Stone and Benson are doing a walk and talk. And again, she's like, motherfucker, Chris Hodgkins. Like, you have to look it up. Like, why would he do this? It's not his reputation. He loves going after sexual abusers. Like, yeah. can you just fucking listen? And it is like, listen to her. Because he made a comment earlier in the episode of like, you know, I learned from the best. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know why he's not just doing exactly what she said immediately as she said it. But he's going to finally like go into it. So he um, goes to some bar to confront Chris. So Stone meets at a bar. They have a back and forth. Um, oh, and Chris knows Peter Stone from like his sport day or the bartender. Oh yeah, the bartender. No, no. Stone used to play professional baseball before he became an ADA. That's so funny. I forget about that. Yeah. Did he get an injured or? I guess so. They like talk about it all the fucking time. Well, that's how much I fucking hate him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. Um, so they talk about his like baseball time and then the bartender with a sexy, sexy Irish accent gives uh, the puzzle piece that they need to like fill up the case. And basically, Chris played sports in East Rockaway. So... Yeah, so this is amazing that we find out this evidence, okay? They're both from East Rockaway. They've lived around the corner from each other and are best friends. So, case closed. JK, we have another half hour of this episode. But (laughs) this is huge. So Amanda's being an idiot, being like, but she he loves protecting victims. And Finn's like, grow up, you dumb bitch. Come on, we work at SVU. (laughs) Like, so many quote-unquote good people attack people. Um, And then, but Amanda's not all idiot, and she brings up a great point. She goes... 
why would this guy risk his whole political career and life on, on this guy? Like, there has to be more to the case. There has to be more. And Finn agrees. So they need to find out what's next. So they start going through all the finances. So they start doing finances. Um, and, you know, I love when they, like, work late and there's rappers and, like, plates <laughs> around and papers and messy and they're trying to crack the case. I love that. And so in his bank account, he's making, like, 2 to $3 million a year. And then Ice makes some joke about a cardiologist. I don't even get the joke. It's obviously a burn against Amanda, but I was like, I don't get this. Because her second kid, the baby daddy, is a cardiologist. Yeah, but who cares? What is the burn? I don't get it. Uh, like, I think he's just kind of like, I know you're dating a cardiologist. I don't know. It's like one of those things where like she's so private and he's like, I know something. I don't know. I really don't know. But that's that's the point, I think. Yeah, I just, I didn't really get it. Yeah. And then I suggest the most uh, Finn thing in the world, which is let's just go home and get six hours of sleep, which I love. <laughs> so then we cut to a dark stairwell moment where, and you're not supposed to really know what's happening. There's like green lights and it's dark. Very, um... Watergate, is that it? Watergate? Yeah, very deep throat. So Benson's in the stairwell and she's talking to someone about something. I can't really get what's going on, but I hear when something hit and tomorrow morning. So it's like, what's going on? So then we cut back to the station and um, Finn is like, hey, Amanda, you want to share the cinnamon raisin bagel? And, you know, I love food. So I like that. Um, And he also apologizes for like busting her chops um, the night before. So then it's break time on that, and Carisi runs in with the paper. And the cover of the paper is the case of the two men's photos, and somebody leaked it to the press. So now we know what the stairwell was, and I think Benson sold it to a journalist, which, that's fucked up, right? I mean, I think she kind of, Benson would only do that if she thought, like, strategically she needed to do it. Like, they are going to know, it's very me too. Like, they know that they need to gather many women in order to make a case like this, you know? You're so smart. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So <laughs> a woman walks in while they're doing this and she wants to report a sex crime and she has the newspapers. They go, oh, you got a story about Andrew? And she goes, no, the other guy, Chris. Bam, bam, bam. So that's, you know, a twist. A twist. Yeah. So now Benson sits down with a woman. Her name is Bethany Fisher um, and played by actress Sarah Buse. So this happened when she was 15 at a house party and kids from Far Rockaway came to this party. Um, There's about 10 or 12 of them. And one one of the boys brought tequila. And she ended up in the bedroom with Chris and one of his friends. Maybe it was Andrew, but she can't really remember his name. Chris pushed her onto the floor, got on top of her, pinned her down, and put his hand down her pants. And the other guy was like cheerleading and saying, go for it, dude. She said she was screaming. Um, but like, get off of me, get off of me. Uh, but then he covered her mouth and she was crying and she has this like amazing performance. She's a really great, talented actress, um, communicating very well. And she continues that he tried to penetrate her, uh, but she was able to get free and she ran away. And they asked, did she tell anyone ever? Um, and she did tell a therapist, wait, like years, years later, who encouraged her to tell her husband who she did reveal this to the previous year. So also her friend Emily was at the party and Emily could see that she was very upset, but she didn't tell her what happened. So they find Emily and they're talking to her, asking about the parties and she's like, I don't know. And then it hits her and she goes, oh, that party. So that's pointed. Like obviously something happened if it clicks to her. She said it was a big party, 30 to 40 kids. There was a keg and Bethany came out of the bedroom and said, we need to leave right away. She wasn't into talking, but they knew something bad happened. And she goes, I don't know what happened in that bedroom. There was two boys from high school 
and she names them Chris Hodgins and Andrew Leibowitz. And she knew something terrible happened, but again, would not say anything. And she was shaking. And she was just telling her friend Emily, like, find me a cab. Bethany begged her not to say anything. And Emily was 15 years old and she listened. Um, and Chris, you know, she's not a stabler. And Chris is now entering an interrogation room yelling and screaming how he's over this and like, what the fuck? So he thinks this is about Andrew and he's annoyed at all this. And they let him know, no, it's actually a girl that you raped in high school. And in the middle of saying, I love these middle of, I love the, I love the facial expressions and the acting of like when you see someone realize something mid-sentence, like with Emily and this guy. Like, I don't know why these scenes, I don't know if it's excite me, but I'm into it. Um, so in the middle of saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, he realizes what's up. And um, and by the way, the guy who's playing Chris Hodgins is Jacob Ritz. Um, and he was in Sex in the City. And you remember this episode. He was in the episode, What Comes Around Goes Around. It's one of your favorites. So when Samantha Jones goes to an NYU dorm party to meet a guy named Samantha jo- Sam Jones, this is him. He loses his virginity to Samantha Jones and then falls obsessed in love with her. (laughs) But yeah, so he played this like dorky uh, guy and he's pretty hot in this episode outside of his personality and crimes. So he grew into his face and he's from Connecticut, Kara. Ooh, baby. Weston, Weston, Connecticut. Which is right near Westport where my brother lives and where we're going for the holidays. Oh, he should heat that pool up. Oh, in December, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Benson makes it clear that like she saw him realize what happened. Like you're not getting out of this. Um, so it was a party 15 years ago. He says he didn't touch the girl, but uh, Andrew did. And Benson goes, "That was fast. You know, you've been protecting this guy for fucking decades, and you just turn on him so quick." Right. Um, like my mom says, "How you do one thing is how you do everything." You know, bad people yeah. are not going to be great loyal friends. Okay, so. He says it was all Andrew and that he pushed Andrew off the girl. And they're like, okay, get off this, like, what? Like, oh, me, I'm the hero. You know, they, they're they like, shut up. Uh, but he takes credit how he helped change sexual assault vibes from back in the day and how things are different. And they go, no, you're a hypocrite and you're a fucking rapist. Like, that's why you're doing all this. And Chris says that it's laughable. But it's like, this isn't funny at all. I don't get it. All right, whatever. (laughs) And uh, he also, it's like, also, like, if you know that Andrew's been doing this forever, why didn't you prosecute him? Like, you care so much about victims. And you know that he did this. And why didn't you charge any of the other women? And then Chris goes, are you charging me? And they say, no, but you better make this right. And he agrees to do whatever Benson says because he refuses to let some liar girl ruin his reputation. So what the plan, we can assume, is a wire recording situation, which I love. Um, Um, I will never be upset about a hidden wire. And I hope one day I get to be in a situation where I get to wear a hidden wire. It's uh, So it's the two of the rapey men and they're chatting and eating in a giant empty, um, like in the East Rockaway restaurant. And he's admitting she put up a fight, but that just spiced things up. And the squad's in the van listening. And he tells Chris, you're playing with fire. You need to chill out. And he goes, yeah, but you know, you always put my fires out. And I think that's great writing. So Chris says, Listen, I'm done. Stone came to see me. I saved your ass again, but I'm pack. I'm done. I'm not doing this. I'm running for office. And he says, you know, I don't want to get Judge Kavanaugh. And Andrew acts confused. And he said, you know the thing from the high school party. And so then they fight back and forth over who the rapist is. And it's like, um, 
but the opposite isn't good either. Like, that's the thing. It's like, okay, maybe you didn't actively rape, but that means you did just watch your friend And cheerlead, yeah. So it's also like, you're not in the clear if you weren't, you're still a rape-adjacent character, Um, but they're going back and forth over who did it. And then Andrew says, oh, you must have been confused with one of the other nights and one of the other girls we did this to. But not that night. That was just you. So already now we have a confession that they did this all over town at all parties. And how many high school age girls' lives have been ruined, honestly, thinking about it. And that's what I think about with Kevin and all these motherfuckers. It's like, it doesn't stop. If you get away with it in high school, why would you stop? And this yeah. this, uh, this episode is really well written. It's like, I really... um. I liked a lot of the subtle moments and stuff, but just being able to in one sentence encapsulate like, oh yeah, we do this all the time. I just, I don't know. It's The show is so good. Um, the squad comes in to arrest them both and Benson calls Andrew his rape partner. Um, Carisi tells him about the wire and then Chris is like, you are next to Stone. Dun, dun. They take them both away um, and, you know... Th- Obviously, Andrew's upset. (laughs) So Benson and Rollins have an end of shift chat and Rollins is like in pain from being pregnant and starts talking about her old waitress days and how she's not like surprised by all the grab ass. She says someone tried that, um, like a customer tried to assault her and she punched him in the face and Kayla walks in and since there's a new DA in Brooklyn they tell her that he's going to open all the old cases against Andrew. Yay. And she brought them a present. She brought them some fancy food from a new restaurant that she's employed at. So I'm glad she got another job. And they're hoping that, you know, these people will rot in jail forever. So that's good. We just hope the prosecutor does a good job. I smell a spinoff. Brooklyn crimes, maybe. (laughs) And then it's just the end of credits. And it's kind of like a lackluster ending with, I don't care for this ending at all. Yeah. But that's Dick Wolf, baby. But not. (laughs) Dick Wolf, mm, baby. Uh, yeah. And I was loving the writing the whole time. And I know some, they usually end with someone looking into the distance, but there's like meaning. I don't know. I didn't care for this ending. I thought it was boring, but um, great episode. And I can't wait to hear about the crimes because it's. Um, You've heard of them, but I think I'm going to give you some details. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, um, yeah, I'm excited to learn more about these cases that did kind of rock my, our, all of our worlds current, like recently. Um, in our memories. So uh, stay tuned for that. Okay, so uh, let's see. This episode aired November 8th of 2018. A year earlier is when a lot of the Me Too stuff blew up. The Harvey Weinstein stuff blew up in 2017, just for context. But then in 2018, um, right before midterm elections, was when we had all of the Brett Kavanaugh stuff. So I'm going to go into a couple of different cases that I think this episode draws from. One being, of course, Brett Kavanaugh um, and Mark Judge. I didn't know a lot about Mark Judge. and Never well, heard of him. Well, he's a huge part of the Kavanaugh case. And it's crazy. I think we were all directing our hatred at Kavanaugh, but this guy was is part of it, and that's who they draw on in this uh, episode. So the brief recap of Kavanaugh is that in 20, uh, July of 2018, Trump nominated him to the Supreme Court. That same month, a woman named Christine Blasey Ford, who was a professor in California, wrote a letter to our senator here in California, Dianne Feinstein, and um, 
accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault when they were in high school in 1982. She said she was at a party in Maryland, if you know the D.C. area. That's where they all grew up in the D.C. area. You know, like, Maryland and Virginia are right bordered right there. So they were, like, at a party in Maryland with Kavanaugh, his friend Mark Judge, and at least four other people. So it seemed like kind of a small party. Allegedly, she was upstairs or going upstairs. These two boys shoved her into a bedroom, Kavanaugh jumped on top of her and was aggressively groping her and trying to remove her clothes. They were, uh, both the boys were extremely drunk and Kavanaugh covered her mouth and she actually thought that he might accidentally kill her because she, like, with by smothering her because she was covering, uh, he was covering her mouth, like, so hard. Um, eventually, she was able to escape. So, like I said, I had never really heard of Mark Judge because I guess I was focused on Kavanaugh. He is an author and a journalist. He wrote a few different books, like one about being a young alcoholic, like, like a Gen X alcoholic. Um, And then he wrote another book called In God and Man at Georgetown Prep, which is a 2005 book he wrote about the faculty at this like prestigious, I believe it's an all-boys school in D.C. called Georgetown Prep, um, and how it had a lot of homosexual priests at the school and how heavy drinking and wild parties were basically a way of life among the students. So um, when this all came out, Mark Judge sent a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee saying, I have no memory of this alleged incident. And after seeing his denial, he had a girlfriend named Elizabeth Raysor who dated him for three years who said she felt like she needed to challenge that account because she heard a completely different story from him. Basically, what he said when he was interviewed was, yeah, I remember guys horse playing around a lot when we were drunk, but I never did that with women. None of us ever did that with women. You know, we only did that with guys. And then this girlfriend was like, she said that Judge had actually told her very ashamed of a time when him and a bunch of boys had had sex with a drunk woman, taking turns. So she, she said that Judge seemed to regard it as a consensual thing and that um, he didn't name others involved. And so she has no idea if Kavanaugh was involved in that act, in that incident, but she was like just kind of disturbed that he was trying to act like there was no sexual impropriety going on at Georgetown Prep when he had actually told her the opposite. So um, essentially, in the Ford, if we, I mean, a lot of us remember, but just in case you don't, Ford's accusations were made public in a Washington Post report on September 16th. So this is a couple months after he's been nominated. Subsequently, two other women came forward. One was named Deborah Ramirez, and one was named Julie Swetnick. And they both accused him of sexual assault instances in the past. Ramirez said that he waved his penis in front of her at a dorm party um, in college, I think at Yale. I don't remember where they went to college. I think it was Yale. And then Swetnick alleged that Kavanaugh and his friends would spike drinks with drugs to make girls like pliable and more susceptible to sexual assault. And she said that uh, Kavanaugh was present when she was gang raped at a party. And she basically said something along the lines of, quote, they would line up outside rooms at many of these parties waiting for their, quote, turn with a girl inside the room, end quote. And that's what's so fucked up. And you know that these people are full-blown criminals because it's like, you can get laid in college. That's the point. Everyone's in college to fuck, you know? Like, you could, like, girls got, everyone's going out to fuck. So if you just wanted to get laid, it's pretty easy. I'm sorry. Like, it doesn't matter. You can get fucked in college. So like, that's why these people are criminals. This isn't horseplay. This isn't you know, like lining up to rape someone that's unconscious in a room. Like these are all fucking criminals. Totally. It's just making me really mad. I don't know I'm going to get through this, honestly. Like, because that's all, the whole case was like horseplay, horseplay, boy time. Oh, it was just college. It's like, no, you can get fucked in college. It's actually not that hard. Yeah, exactly. And 
Drinking is just criminals. not an excuse. Like, I don't know. We need to be teaching men that, like, a woman passed out is not a woman that's enjoying or consenting a sexual encounter. No, they know what they're doing. They're, they're like, criminals. this is easy. It's actually disgusting. It's just so disgusting. Like, it's well, really, Well, because that's really what they talk foul. about. When they talk about, like, legality or not and all of that. It's like, even if it's a consent or you're with, like, why do you want to fuck a blacked out drunk person who cannot yeah. engage? Well, because it's about power. It's like, look at Cosby. Cosby probably could have gotten many, many women to consensually fuck him. He wanted to control women and do whatever he wanted to them while they were incapacitated. It's like a power thing, you know? And they always say that no one believes it because that's the whole discussion with Louis where people are like, it's not, you know, it's not these other cases. And I go, yeah, but the thing is, there's so many people who would watch him jerk off. Like, Tons of people. I probably would have. You know what I mean? Right. And but that's so, not the point, that's not right? The point. the point is making people, un- yeah. Uncomfortable. Asserting your power. And that's why the discussions with other comics are so annoying at times because it's like, it's not about the action of the jerking off at all. It's that he liked to do it in front of people who he knew didn't want to be there. Right. Like, why is that so hard to understand for so yeah. many people? Cause yeah, because we've talked about this before. He was he's a loaded man. He could have easily hired a sex worker to sit there and watch him jerk, jerk off. That's not the point, you know. Yeah, these are. It's like it's so fucked. What we excuse as normal, but like, yeah, like what? It, what are your ideas of even fucking or sex with someone else if you don't that other person's enjoyment or even ability to be in the moment doesn't matter to you. Like, what do you think fucking is? I don't know. It's just, okay, keep talking. I'm going to stop. It's, I think it's basically <laughs> getting yours at whatever cost. That's what these guys are thinking. So, okay. So, September 17th, Kavanaugh denies everything. I've never, he says, never done anything like what the accuser describes to her or anyone. Um, and then on the 27th, both Ford and Kavanaugh testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Eventually, the Judiciary Committee the next day voted 11 to 10 to send the Kavanaugh nomination to a full Senate with a favorable recommendation. But Senator Jeff Flake said, but let's do a one-week FBI investigation into the claims against him. Um, and even he even threatened to, like, change his vote if that didn't happen. But it's all lip service. Like, it's bullshit. Like, the FBI investigation was, like, very, very limited at first. Um, there were all these restrictions. Like, they were only allowed to talk to Mark Judge, they were only allowed to look into Ford and Ramirez's claims. Looking into Swetnick's claims was blocked. Um, and only four individuals could be interviewed. Mark Judge, Ramirez, Leland Kaiser, who was a friend of Ford's, who was allegedly also at the party, and P.J. Smith, who was another, or P.J. Smythe. I don't know if it was Smith Smythe. Another party attendee. Which makes no sense to me, because if you're asking the FBI to investigate everything, shouldn't they investigate everything? Yes. Why would you put limits into an investigation if you want to find the truth? Well, they didn't want to find the truth. That's right, the because point, they didn't but... want to find the truth because I think the whole thing was very set up just to act like they were being like bipartisan and like doing an investigation, but they weren't. Well, yeah, because I mean, you might get into all this, but like there's all this stuff where Kavanaugh's debts were paid off and that something with Kennedy happened and Kennedy stepped down on per- on purpose because of something behind the scenes. So Kavanaugh was like meant to be in the court to do some sort of favors and all of his debts were paid off. I didn't read anything about the debts, but I I didn't know about that. That's really sketchy. I do know that, like, one of the reasons Kennedy stepped down, they think, is because Kavanaugh was being floated as a replacement and he had, like, clerked for him and, like, knew him. So I think Kennedy thought, oh, if I go and Kavanaugh replaces me, then I feel more comfortable going. But I didn't know about all these debts. That's that's sketchy as fuck. Yeah, he had, like, that. millions and or hundreds of thousands in, like, credit card debts and, like, country club debts, and they were all paid off before he got on the bench by somebody. 
Like, this is so Gosh. twisted and dark, and I bet in 50 years, I mean, we'll all be dead, but, um, or no one will investigate, and these people will win. I mean, that's, this whole, this was such a scam. I mean, this was, like, such a hard time in life. Yeah. I remember, like, women at that time, we were all just kind of, like, because we were all, like, beaten down by the Trump presidency in general, and then with this, we were just kind of, like, fuck. Like, it was so depressing at that time. Because it basically showed the standard of, like, what happens to women. It was just, like, because every, I feel, person has been in a moment like this, seen a moment, felt this way. It really felt so personal. And she was so brave to come forward. Like, people are like, oh, she did it what attention would be worth this? Like, she had to, like, leave her job. She had to move her house. Like, she was doxxed, like, harassed. There, She was completely, like, such a brave woman to just come up and say, this is the person that you're going to install onto the nation's highest court to make decisions about our bodies and our lives, and this is who he is. She could have absolutely said nothing, but she decided to step up, and I think she gained almost nothing from that. Nothing. So when people are like, oh, she had her own political reasons, but it's like, no, like not like I just don't buy any of that shit. It was only hurt her to stand up and she still did it. It's like of all the evidence and all the men that kill their wives and beat people and are serial killers and people are still surprised for, uh, no, it must be for her doing attention. It's like how many more men need to do heinous crimes for you to just give the benefit of the doubt to someone? I don't know. It is. Well, so, okay, on October 1st, a couple days after the FBI investigation was launched, the Times reported that the White House had authorized the FBI to expand the the investigation and they could interview anyone they want. So initially, there were all these restrictions and only four people were allowed to be interviewed. And then a couple days later, okay, they loosened it up. And then um, the White House counsel, Don McGahn, told the FBI that they could expand the investigation. Great. Still, it doesn't seem like anything's really being done. Ultimately, the FBI's investigation was basically for show. They um, later reports showed that they did not interview more than a dozen people who said they could provide information about the incidents of Kavanaugh exposing himself to women. Lawyers for Ford and Ramirez had sent the FBI Director Ray, they had sent him 50-plus individuals on a list that they could interview, and only nine of them were ever contacted, and all of those nine people were from a list that the Republicans had submitted. So... Well, and the fact that the whole thing was a week and it was rushed and they rushed it before midterm election. I mean, this was a fucking farce. You know, it It was was all... It was was kind of like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial where it's like, we knew what was going to happen before it happened. Like, nothing was legit. Right. And then... October 5th, the Senate voted 51 to 49 to approve Kavanaugh. I mean, at that point, it was a Republican Senate. Um, So Murkowski, who's a Republican, voted no, but Manchin voted yes, who's basically a Republican, even though he's a Democrat. Isn't he the number one reason why there's no paid maternity leave or child leave now? I mean, Manchin is literally holding the government hostage. Like, he's a nightmare. But how is this one fucking guy? Like, I don't get it. Because we're in a 50-50 Senate. And if he votes against stuff, it's like, then, you know, so he's, like, got so much fucking power right now. The fact that this one guy is the reason women can't get paid leave when they have a child. Yeah, like, he's the reason they had to cut so much out of the Build Back Better plan and everything. Like, it's, well, him and cinema maybe, too. I don't know. But... Kavanaugh's confirmation, I didn't realize this, was the most historically close confirmation vote in over 100 years since 1881 or something. And even then, because there were fewer senators, if you do it by percentage, it was even closer than that. 
So, because like the last vote was only a one, was between one vote and this was between two votes. But percentage wise, this was closer. And now we all just have to accept that there's a man on the Supreme Court knowing all of the allegations that Christine Blasey Ford made and believing them, most of us. And it's just, um, you know, again, a horrible world to be a woman in. He also claimed in the court, uh, in the uh, hearings, that he never got blacked out and never didn't remember things he did. And all these people that went to college with him were like, uh, excuse me? Like, and they were, they all were like, yes, he did. He used to black out all the time. So it's just like, it's like you said, you do one thing how you do everything. Like, this guy is like, that's maybe he's married now and not sexually assaulting people anymore, but he's no, lying. No, but you could you even know? tell the way the woman stood. Like, I feel he beats his wife. Like, I don't trust this motherfucker. Like, the body language of when his family would stand and he paraded his wife, like, that is a silent woman who does not have control or power in that household. Yeah. Ugh. The next case that this episode drew from are is obviously the Mario Batali sexual misconduct allegations. Um, and look, it's no secret that sexual harassment is rampant in the restaurant industry. They make that clear in uh, the episode as well. Like everyone's like, part of the job, part of the job. Like, And according to an article that I read in the Harvard Business Review, more sexual harassment claims in the U.S. are filed in the restaurant industry than in any other, whereas men as, as many as 90% of women and 70% of men reportedly experienced some form of sexual harassment. Like, I truly think it's 100% if you really think about it. Like, the other 10% were probably like, hmm, let me think, and, like, couldn't think of, but, like, they definitely have been. Like, somebody has at least called you, like, sweet tits or something like that when you took their appetizer order. You know what I mean? Like, every waitress, I feel like, has had a problem, and probably men have it happen as well, too, I mean, according to this. So, specifically in this episode, it's about a celebrity chef, so it touches on the Mario Batali case. If you don't know Mario Batali... He's like this big guy with red slick back hair and he wore Crocs. That's kind of his signature thing. Yeah, he was friends with Gwyneth Paltrow. I bet they're still friends. Yeah, no, I mean, probably. Um, and he was a chef and owner of a lot of high-profile restaurants in New York and LA and Vegas and apparently randomly Westport, Connecticut and other places, but um, mostly New York and LA. Del Posto, Babo, La Sirena, Lupa, Otto, Becco, Casamono, Esca, Felidia, Barhamon in New York City. And then in uh, LA, we've got Kispaka and Astoria Mozza. I've been to both of those. I've been to, no, I haven't been to Kispaka. I've been to Astoria Mozza. I've been to Becco, I think. And I've been to Babo once, maybe. I've been to Babo a few times. I really love it. I've been to Babo alone, too. Like, just sat at the bar. Oh, wow. I think I went to a baby shower at Babo, too, once during the day. But um, for my friend who's a little fancy. And I just actually had a stereo matzah takeout. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Well, I went there with our friends' parents who were in town from Ohio and like to live it up when they come Well, to you town, took a so. limo there. Well, I was nine months pregnant, so I wasn't going to lower my body into a limo, but I did meet them there and they did take a limo <laughs> and it was very funny. Um, and then he had a lot of restaurants in Vegas that I think closed down um, recently, but... So he also was a big TV personality. Like he had a show on the Food Network called Molto Mario and was on Iron Chef America. And he was also a co-host of a show called The Chew, which I think Carla from Top Chef was on, right? Yes. Yeah. And Chef her. Michael Simon, who's oh, okay. a Cleveland guy. And yeah. I don't know who else. So one other interesting thing I learned about Mario Batali is that he is married to a woman named Susie Khan, who is the daughter of the founders of Coach. The purses. 
And wallets. Yeah. So he married into money, and then he also was very successful. And in addition to high-priced handbags, I read, the Khan family, because of their travels all around the world with their purses and, like, leather business, they got very into, like, delicious cheeses and stuff, and they got into the dairy farm business. And Batali would use Coach Farm products in all his restaurants around the country. I thought that was interesting. It is interesting. So, like I said at the beginning, this is timed a little bit perfectly with, like, 2017. October is when uh, Weinstein's allegations surface and the Me Too movement is, like, gaining all this steam. And then in December of that same year, December of 2017, the food website Eater dropped this big piece about Mario Batali that talked about four women who all accused Batali of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct— one woman said that she she didn't work for him. She just met him at a party. She was like a fan and she went up to talk to him. She spilled wine like on her chest, like down her top. And he like started like groping at her breast, being like, let me help you with that. Like a real creep. And was like groping her bare breasts. And then three other women that talked to Eater all anonymously uh, because they fear retaliation. They had all been employees of Batali. One said over the course of two years, he repeatedly grabbed her from behind and like held her tightly against his body. Another alleged groping and said in a separate incident, he compelled her to straddle him. Basically, I read a more in detail thing about this. Like he wouldn't move his legs when she was trying to get in and out of a room. So she had to straddle him to get out of the room. And then when she came back, he was like, sorry about it and made her do it again so she could come back into the room. Like, just gross. Like, shit that seems like high school boy teasing shit, but is actually, like, pretty gross and dehumanizing. Well, he's also, like, not to, you know, uh, he also looks like shit. Like, he's not a hot guy. And so to me, it's like, it's a genre of person where it's like, you are working to become popular and successful so you can do the things that you feel entitled to or you want yeah. it to do, you know? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. a tale as old as time. It's like you couldn't get the action you wanted probably as a teen, and now you get to do whatever the fuck you want, and no one cares. Yeah. So, uh, like, another— The fourth woman said that he grabbed her breasts at a party, though she was no longer an employee at that point. And, and it was reported that in October of 2017, a couple months before this came out— an employee at B&B, which is Batali and Bastianich. Uh, that's his his partner was Joe Bastianich in all these restaurants. So that their thing was called B&B. Uh, and they report, uh, apparently in October 2017, inappropriate behavior by Batali was reported to the company and it was the first formal complaint about him. And he was reprimanded and required to undergo tr- go training according to the company. And this is like, In October of 2017, when, like, yes, the winds of change were already blowing, Weinstein was happening, like, there's no way in fucking hell that was his first actual complaint. It was just the first one that somebody felt ballsy enough to, uh, you know, report. So, um, basically, the day after this EDA report came out, four more women came forward. And then uh, his whole life basically imploded. Three days after this report came out, he was fired from the Chew. The Food Network pulled Molto Mario. And Target pulled all of his sauces and cookbooks. And here's the thing. Batali did not deny any of these allegations. In a statement to Eater, he said, quote, 
I apologize to the people I have mistreated and hurt. Although the identities of most of the individuals mentioned in these stories have not been revealed to me, much of the behavior described does in fact match up with ways I have acted. That behavior was wrong and there are no excuses. I take full responsibility and am deeply sorry for any pain, humiliation, or discomfort I have caused to my peers, employees, customers, friends, and family. And I'm like, it's funny because I'm so tempted to be like, well, at least that's a good apology. But I'm like, no, this guy's only sorry he got caught. You know, like he would have kept doing this for years and years, I'm sure. And, but I think that that is at least a good way to apologize. Whereas like Louis's apology where he's like, you know, I guess I kind of did something wrong. Didn't seem that bad. You know, these wishy-washy apologies. Like at least this man is just saying, yeah, I was a fucking asshole. And like, I'm sorry, even though I do think he's only mad he got caught. So Yeah, like I said, many of the people who spoke with Eater were afraid of retribution for speaking out. And a woman who claimed she was inappropriately touched while working for Batali in the 90s told Eater, quote, he has clear intent on being threatening when he's wronged. And the level of vindictiveness is very chilling. So it never occurred to me to share tales out of school. And she also went on to say, this wasn't just some dirty jokes. This was mean. This was about asserting power. He is awful. And then another woman separately said, he gets wasted, he's arrogant, and he acts like he's God's gift to women. This is still your industry. You're a leader in this industry. If you behave this way, what kind of example are you setting? So essentially, uh, he lost all that stuff uh, by 2019. Uh, the beginning of 2019, he divested from all of his businesses. So those restaurants still stand, but he's divested from them. But so. it is why wild, I don't know if that's the right word, to think about this where it's like, quote unquote, Kavanaugh did worse stuff and he is a Supreme Court justice. And then this guy did um, divest from all his businesses and give up all these things. It's like, it's kind of, um, what's the game where you throw darts? It's like darts. It's like throwing darts. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. You could fully rape people and get off and live a a great life. (laughs) Like Bill Cosby's not in jail, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Bill Cosby got out. Yeah. But like, it is, you never know. You just never know what will stick and what, what doesn't? It's yeah. even during the Me Too movement, like people keep talking about James Franco. No one actually cares. You know, it's like you can't. That's why guys have to be careful. Don't leave your house. Yeah. Leave your. Don't leave your house. Stay inside. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. <laughs> don't risk it. Why would you risk it? Because you don't right. know how it'll end up. We'll let you know when you're allowed out of your house. Okay, men. Yeah. I mean, if men were not allowed out of the house, there would be no. There'd be a lot less crime. <laughs> For sure. So in May of 2019, uh, Batali was charged with indecent assault and battery and was scheduled to be arraigned in Boston Municipal Court. And then, uh, and and in court, this accuser described an event that took place after she took a selfie with uh, Batali in 2017. She said he, quote, grabbed her breasts, buttocks, and groin, forcibly kissed her mouth and cheeks, and suggested they head to his nearby hotel. Batali has pled no not guilty to these charges, and he will actually be heading to trial in Boston for this in April. Um, and then in July of 2021, so just this past July, Batali and Joe Bastianich, his partner, his former restaurant partner, uh, agreed to a settlement in New- the New York cases where he would pay $600,000 to more than 20 employees of their restaurants, Babo, Lupa, and Del Posto. Wait, they're, save- they're, they're sharing the 600 or each person gets 600 It sounds like they each get 600 Wow, love that. It does. It's just crazy to me that this was all going on while I was making reservations for my mean boss at the time. Okay. Uh, At the same restaurants. Uh, 
So basically, some of the stuff I was reading is like the reason that the restaurant business has such a high rate of uh, sexual assault and 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 misconduct is and harassment is because there's a huge power gap. A lot of men are in positions of power in the restaurant industry, and women are in lower positions. Um, there's a high turnover rate. There's that customer is always right mentality, which like kind of allows customers to treat servers however they want. And then tipping, of course, makes service staff much less likely to come forward because they're relying on tip money. Also, what I was reading in this article from the Harvard Business Review is it's a looks industry and like a culture that emphasizes and rewards looks in ways can help customers and managers justify sexual harassment in some ways. Uh, I mean, it's not right, but that is what's happening. And they basically said that to change the system, uh, there need to be systems in place for employees to go when they have complaints, even if it's the manager is the one that's bothering them. There needs to be like a backup of where they can go if the manager is the one committing the, the um, you know, harassment. And that there should be the same way that there's secret shoppers who come in to like eat at a restaurant and tell you what you're doing wrong. There should be secret people. There should be people that just drop in and interview the staff about what's going on and like allow them to have an opportunity to voice their concerns. And then um, they basically suggest that all employees should take bystander intervention training so that witnesses of harassment know how to identify it and help women who experience it. And um, yeah, basically the restaurant industry really needs to firmly address customer-based sexual harassment as well. Like they should be... Uh, relying on managers to protect their employees from unwanted behavior from customers. So if like a customer is harassing someone, like they need to be, the server needs to be moved off the table on the first warning. And then if there's an, if it happens again, they need to, the customer needs to be removed from the establishment. So just a few things that this article was suggesting for ways to stop it, but I'm also in the sister peg segment going to give you a resource. And um, yeah, that's kind of what's up. I have no idea what Batali's up to now besides gearing up for that April court date. And it just sucks that a restaurant, an industry that we enjoy so much, like we love going out to eat, both you and I, like it provides so much joy for people. And like, it just can be a nightmare for people that are trying to like make ends meet and work under duress in shitty situations. Yeah. It's weird that all male dominated industries have so many problems. I wonder why. I mean. Yeah, really. <laughs> Seriously. So fucked up. I think whoever took over Batali, like uh, to, somebody who took over at their business group was a woman. Like they, and a lot of like the spotted pig was a huge thing. Like I actually knew a girl back in New York who was a big uh, witness or a victim in the spotted pig thing, which Batali was an investor of, but it was the different owners of the spotted pig that were um, sexual harassing. And uh, the spotted pig got a female manager, I think. Like they're all trying to bring in more females to positions of power to try to counteract some of that. Although I've heard of nightmare women bosses too. So of course. Well, that's, uh, or are they in the movies, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, um, our friends, they, uh, the husband just got a new job and it's a female owner. And already he's noticed the, uh, differences and how amazing it is and how like you're encouraged to spend time with your family. You can make your own schedule. Like it's just, he's already, realized how much better of an environment it was than his previous job. Yeah. Well, I mean, but then there's Luscious Grape. You know what I mean? There is Luscious Grape. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We do have an awesome guest, though. So, (laughs) yeah. Let's get on the interview train, babies. (laughs) 
Okay, we're so excited about today's guest. She was a delight to talk to. You guys might recognize her from another Dick Wolf property called FBI, but you know her this week as Bethany Fisher. Please enjoy our chat with Sarah Buse. When you auditioned for SVU, were you living in New York or LA? And tell us about the audition process. If you watched the show before, how did you feel when you got the part? All of that kind of stuff. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I was living in New York and I was living in Crown Heights in a different apartment though. And I had, uh, auditioned for it. And, you know, these things I'm sure, as you know, at this point, they move so quickly. So I think what happened is I went in for the audition and maybe like, they were like, Hey, can you come back later that day for a director's session? Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe it was the next day. It was really soon though. And so I went back to the director's session and Monica Raymond directed that episode. Who's so lovely. She was one of the leads in another Dick Wolf show. Like I think it was Chicago med. Maybe she oh. was the lead in for a while. Um, and she's a great actor, but this was her first time directing, uh, something. So yeah, I felt really good about it. And I left and I was like, Oh, I think maybe, maybe it's possible. I got that. And I was really excited when I booked it because it was my first television job that alone made it really exciting, but I had never, and I have still never to this day seen a full episode of the show. Oh, oh wow. my God. Oh my God. I can't believe I, I just told Did, you all that. So you didn't even watch your episode? I s- watched some of it. I watched my parts and then, you know, buried my head in the sand. It was like, Ugh. and I watched like some of the other scenes, but I didn't watch the full episode start to finish. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're like one of the 1% of people on the planet, maybe who have never watched a full episode of SVU. You know, I'm so fascinated by the fascination with the show. <laughs> like it, when I still will get text messages to this day or messages being like, oh my God, I saw you on SVU. Mm-hmm. And it's like the one thing that there's so many people who watch it. And I didn't even realize at the time, I knew it was a big show, but I didn't realize the, this, you know, how many fans it had. Yeah. The actual like shooting of the episode was such a nightmare for me. Everyone on set was incredible. It's like such a well-oiled machine over there. And, and people, and not only is it a well-oiled machine and everything is running so smoothly, but everyone is so kind and generous. But I, uh, I mean, you can sort of see, like when I looked back, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I basically had a panic attack on set. (laughs) really bad. Like you can see when you're watching it that I kind of like break out in hives. Well, well, we'll take another watch. I did not, I didn't see the hives. Yeah. You can kind of see them on my chest where like when the makeup sort of starts. But maybe it's kind of good though, because like you are coming forward with kind of a great, like a really brave moment and anybody would be like nerve wrecked and like, you know, maybe breaking out in hives. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. Maybe it was all good. Um, But yeah, it was one of those things where I just did everything that an actor like shouldn't do their first time on set. Like I, we were in the middle of shooting and I started getting really nervous and I was like not breathing and I wasn't doing what the, I felt the director wanted me to do what Monica wanted for me. 
And I like, wasn't getting there emotionally. And it was just so wrapped up in my head. And, you know, one of those things that happens sometimes is like, this isn't going well. And then your nerves get in the way and it just keeps getting worse and worse, or at least that's what's happening inside your head. Um, And I remember Mariska was so lovely and just trying to like hold my hand and walk me through this. And Monica as well. She was, she's like, Hey, she's like, let's take a step outside. And she takes a deep breath and she's like, this is my first time directing an episode on a TV show. And I was like, yeah, this is my first time acting in one. (laughs) And she was like, okay, great. Let's just sit here and let's just do some breathing. You and me. And she really like, I mean, it was incredible. And she was so kind to do that because, you know, time is money on set. And when you're wasting time, like it's annoying and it's costing people money. So she was really kind and patient with me. And of course I left that experience being like, I'm never going to work in this town again. (laughs) No one's ever going to hire me again. And then I got a job that like two jobs later that I got another TV job was specifically because of my work on SVU. And then they wound up writing this like huge paragraph for me and like changing it from a co-star to a guest star because they remembered me from SVU. So it was like, you know, we're so hard on ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really cool though, that like they took the time to not be like, snap out of it. You know, they kind of like worked with you and like gave you some encouragement. That's really awesome. Well, speaking of also Mariska helping you out. So that scene where like you're with her and she gives you like the, like, I'm sorry that happened to you pity face. Yeah. <laughs> how, what does that feel like? Do you just feel like you're falling back in through a, through a wormhole in time. Like what, how does it, <laughs> It's so funny. Like the most compassionate person like in the world is looking at you like, I'm sorry you went through that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she's really, she's very generous. And it's so interesting because she has like very few lines, but I definitely remember uh, in that scene. And I definitely remember feeling just like very, uh, her being very active and Mm. being with me and genuinely trying to comfort me. And I think that she's such a genuine person and that comes out in the role that she plays as well. Yeah, for sure. And how was the scene where you walk into the precinct? That's like a jealous, you know, not, we're not jealous, but that's a fun moment to be able to like walk in and everyone's standing there and be like, you know. Yeah, that was a fun, I'm laughing because in that scene, like as we were rehearsing it, Ice T's in that scene, and he's just a really funny dude. <laughs> and I think he has to eat a bagel. And I just thought of this this morning. He, I remember him saying, Yes, this is probably the big bagel episode. Oh my God. Yeah. I took a photo of it. <laughs> wait, I took a picture is, of it. Wait, are you serious? Are you? Yeah, because yeah. he said he's never eaten a bagel. And like right as you're walking in, he's holding a full bagel, but he hasn't taken a bite out of it. 
Oh, and everyone was flipping out. And this timeline actually works out. I, we would have to double check it. But everyone was like, boo, what the fuck? Why haven't you eaten a bagel? And he was like, grow up, you losers. I don't want to. And I don't know if this was the episode where people are like, ah, Ice is going to try a bagel. Like this might have been it. Wait a second. Is This is an ongoing thing with him that he hasn't had a bagel. That wasn't yes. a lie. Okay. No. Because he said <laughs> yeah. that. He said that to us and me... And I think it was Kelly or Peter were all standing there and we were like, you've never had a bagel. I didn't know that that was a thing before. Oh, you were there live. You were there as the story yes. broke, maybe. I, wow. I don't know. Maybe there was definitely, <laughs> I don't know. Was I part of the original story? There's definitely a conversation happening with all of us and everyone's in shock that a man who I think was grew up in New York City, right? had never had a bagel. And we were just like, what are you? T- You've never had a bagel. And he's like, God, he has this thing in his hands. And then I think he complained because it was cinnamon raisin too, or there was something else. Yeah. It definitely looked like it had stuff in it, that bagel. Yeah. 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 But I don't know that he actually ever had any of it. I think he actually is a West coast rapper, but ah, he has at okay. this point spent at least 20 plus years living in in New York being on this show. But I think what happened was during conversations with people like you, like the one that you're talking about, he started realizing, is this weird that I've never had a bagel? And then he said it on Twitter. I've never had a bagel. And that's when people went nuts. So I think you got in on the ground floor on this, um, this whole yeah, controversy. Yeah, because there was definitely a lot of shock when he said it. There was just a lot of like, what? how is that possible that you can... You can be an American person and never had a bagel before. Yeah, I was just in New York like last week from Halloween for a week and I maybe had four egg and cheese bagels. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you come from LA. You guys have Mexican food, but we have good bagels. Okay, wow. I can't believe you were there for actual iced bagel coverage. This is, wow, amazing. Okay. So you, this character is like loosely based on Christine Blasey Ford. Mm-hmm. That, and like, it's crazy because like her testimony was the end of September. This episode aired the beginning of November. You must have shot it in like October or something. Yes. And actually the, uh, the audition came up two, maybe not even two days, maybe 24 hours after that story broke. After she said, she came out and said, Brett Kavanaugh did this to me when we were kids. Like 24, not more than 48 hours later is when I got that audition. Yeah, that show knows how to rip from the headlines quickly. Very quickly, yeah. And it was very much, I was told from like, the very start and was told along the way by several people, like this is the Christine Blasey Ford of this episode. Mm -hmm. That case, I remember I was in San Antonio. Like I remember where I was throughout that whole thing. And it was, uh, Karen and I, when we were discussing this, she said like, this was a low point. This was like Hmm. right before midterm. It was just a really sad time. And it was such a letdown for everyone. And I was just really emotionally from that case like do you remember the vibe on set or how you felt and like just any comment on that yeah I mean that's I think this is part I felt a huge responsibility to tell that story and to tell it well um because it it did really shake me uh also and it was it wasn't just that it happened it was the fact that 
there was a huge, um, a number of people who wouldn't give her story credit at all. And that, that really pissed me off. And hearing her, I mean, I watched her speak and at the hearing and I mean, you couldn't not be touched by that and affected by it. And then against what he had to say too, which was so infuriating. I mean, that type of dude, I just feel like we all know that guy and the fact that he still won and that he still has a seat and he's a Supreme Court justice makes me so angry. Um, I think at the point that we started shooting this episode, there was definitely this feeling like I think when people were like, you're the Christine Blasey Ford of this episode, there was something behind it. They weren't just saying that as like a factual like this. No, it was women who were telling me that. And it was, I think, because they were feeling the weight of it, too. And so it was um, it was said in this sort of way of maybe like you have this responsibility or maybe that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. And like, we always talk on the podcast about how like, you know, SVU is a fantasy world. So it's like, at least it's like a fantasy of a justice system that most women would like to see, you know? And so I feel like at least in this episode, that guy's never going to be a politician. Like that guy's, you know, probably going to jail. So we got some justice for this, this ADA in Brooklyn. Right. I think I even maybe had commented something when I had posted about it when the, after the show had aired or just when it was about to, I had maybe posted something like, you know, this has a better ending. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And you said something about like, no one was, a lot of people weren't giving credit to her story. And I remember seeing something that has affected me since where like just imagining any young people who have been assaulted and then hearing their parents talk shit about her or not believe her in front Mm -hmm. of them. And like how that has influenced a whole younger generation to not come forward because of the way she was treated. And that, makes me so mad too. Right. I mean, it was so incredibly brave of her to, they were getting death threats. She had to move. Yeah. She lost her job. Like, right. She was so terrified. This is like the last thing that, but she had to, she was so scared, but, um, she had to overcome that because her speaking out to her was, uh, was way more important. She felt at the time. Yeah, because she probably knew she was not the only person. Like, there, you know, once you get away with it, right? What's stopping yeah. you again? But we'll switch directions. Yeah, to lighten <laughs> things up. <laughs> Obsessed with your jewelry. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I, I, my standard of jewelry, I always say, is like, would Jennifer Aniston wear it? And I think <laughs> she would wear it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I saw some opal pieces. I'm an opal fan. Nice. I love opals too. Yeah. I heard they're powerful. Yes, extremely powerful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she was so fun. And also, if anybody's interested in her jewelry, it is called Head Found. And her Instagram, we'll obviously tag her on our Instagram, but it's Busical, B-U-E-S-I-C-A-L. And you can uh, link to a lot of her jewelry, which we thought was very beautiful. Um, Any thoughts on Hell's Kitchen? 
I mean, we're trying to go into the new year positive, and <laughs> I don't know, but it is just, you know, we look at history and we're like, how did things happen? And we are slowly sliding into, I think, you know, a bad, bad, worse, terrible moments. I don't know what's going to happen, but the Kavanaugh and the way victims are treated of sexual assault really add to it and the farce of the investigation and what bullshit it was and that he's serving on the court and... It's um, it's scary and fucked up, and they always say, like, they make us tired on purpose, so then we're, like, so used to the obscure and wild behavior that then Kyle Rittenhouse's judge can read a cookie catalog, you know, like, <laughs> and then we keep on moving, and we're just, like, at a bar having fun, and then all this is happening, and I don't really know what to say. It's just, like, yeah. scary and terrible. Yeah, and, you know, I think for everybody that might be listening that works in the restaurant industry, you know, you don't have to, like, put your head down and you can definitely try to get... But you do. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we can all tell everyone, like, speak up, do it, but we we can't guarantee what anyone's going to That's do true. Yeah, everybody somebody. has their own... And, and everybody has their own situation where, like, quitting might not be an option and stuff. But hopefully, hopefully you have a manager that you can go to, or if it's your manager, you have someone above them to at least give you temporary relief if it's not, like, legal relief, you know? Like, you don't have to, like, press charges, but you can, like, get someone to not work at the same shift as you or whatever, try to get some help. Yeah, it's such bullshit. Did we talk about this on this or somewhere else? Uh, but like, when sometimes people are like, why do you perform at the cellar? What about Louie? Why do you do there? They perform, or like, people have been doing that to, for the people that are at the Netflix as a joke festival. Um, someone was like, oh, you're all, you all hate Chappelle and now you're going to do a festival with Chappelle. And it's like, why are you asking these people to leave their jobs. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, why yeah, should yeah. I not be performing at a venue making money because they have a fucking creep there? Like, what does that have to do with me? Like, asking people to, like, not take opportunities and not make money Yeah, take it up with annoying. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, take it up with Netflix. Like, Chappelle should leave, if anyone. Like, <laughs> to ask, like, working comics who are like, oh, fuck yeah, I need this gig to not do it for morality is annoying. Don't yeah. do that. I don't know if that's fully connected to this episode, but it's the way that <laughs> I feel sometimes when people are like, then wh why'd you do that? And it's like, what am I supposed to do? I can't right, it's like, or, <laughs> it's like, Well, I'm sure that like, no, it does connect because I'm sure like in the restaurant world, people are like, oh, you're working at a Batali restaurant. Like, isn't he such a nightmare? And it's like, yeah, but I'm also bringing home like money that I need for my family and my life. And, you know, like there's, there's just, nothing's black and white, you know? Yeah. Um... Listen, I don't know. We talked a lot. We could just keep it a quick send-off, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys know what's yes. up. We hate everyone and everything except for the people we like. <laughs> cool. But I did want to, for this week's What Would Sister Peg do, uh, which is our weekly segment where we direct you guys towards a resource or a book or an article or something that'll give you more information about what we touched on in today's episode. Uh, I've been hearing about this organization for a really long time, and I think it fits in here with the harassment at restaurants and stuff, since literally the numbers are staggering that 90% of like women that work in the food service industry are harassed at some point, and a lot of times from customers. Um, so this website, this I'm sorry, this organization is called Hollaback, and it's www.ihollaback.org, and it's a global people-powered movement to end harassment in all its forms. And it does a lot of bystander training because, like, there's a lot of times where I'm in a situation where I'm like, I, sometimes I do jump in, but sometimes I'm there and I'm like, I don't know. You, you got to trust your gut, but you don't know where, how to jump in, how to make someone feel more safe. And they have 
online bystander training on this website that are really, really helpful. Um, And since 2005, they've worked on ending gender-based harassment in the public space, aka street harassment, which I think can extend to places of, you know, public places like restaurants and uh, and transportation in the workplace. So go to iHollaback.org. And obviously, all of these are, as usual, in our stories the day of the release of the episode and then in our WWSPD highlight on our Instagram. I do love that they went cool with their name. They're like, you know what's going to get the youth involved? Hollaback. Hollaback, girl. <laughs> um, and next week, please join us in watching the episode Name, Season 7, Episode 7. You'll know I will have something to say about that. <laughs> um, Hulu, as always, Peacock, VPN Sticks, your local library, all that jazz. Or don't watch it at all and... We'll be here chatting away. Thanks so much. Have such a beautiful new year. Um, And I hope you have a nice night that you don't put too many expectations on. And um, all good stuff. Yeah. Have an amazing night. And um, we'll talk to you guys in 2022. Yeah. Bye-bye. messed up is an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at that's messed up pod and on twitter at messed up pod and follow us personally at kara clank and at glitter cheese as always please see our show notes for sources and more information thank you so much to our producer annalise nelson and to our mixing engineer ryo baum and to henry kapersky for our theme song and to Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun! dun dun